0: Justin and Jai are a couple of guys who know they're gonna die, for so the biting time by consuming content and wasting their breath, it's a podcast called amusing ourselves to death. Do they do tail slates in movies?
1: Uh if you if you're like in a closet and you're hopping out of the closet, you don't slate uh, at the front of the shot. You'll slate the end of the shot after you call after you say stop action. If you for whatever reason your camera placement doesn't let you get the AC in front of the camera.
2: Oh, okay. Or maybe like something's happening, and it's just like, oh, quick, roll, roll camera now, and then get the shot, whatever happens, and then to a tail slate, just so.
1: So I would imagine engaged. there were a ton of tail slates on this film.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, I don't know. Do you want to kick
2: us off before I try yeah, to I say Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, mean, we I interrupted. Just, <laughs> we could use all this. But hey, <laughs> welcome to Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's a podcast about media, mortality, other m words that we could add to that alliteration my name's jaya peck i'm a citizen of bethlehem pennsylvania joining me as always it's he was a dead man and now he lives
0: just in pasano i'm here now <laughs> good to see you i don't know what hey it's good to see you too what's yeah. up how's it going uh, it's
2: sunday recording it's been a bit uh we're, we're still f- trying to figure out how to navigate this uh this, this year of 2020, post-election, uh, I feel like all the, the stress and all the uh, anxiety is... I can't t- tell if it's just kind of like inverting or just kind of building up again. Or I feel different, but... Me too. Here to distract us about... <laughs> here to distract us, as always, is returning guest. You know him from uh, the Magnolia episode, the Departed episode, Blade Runner... Slash Star Wars episode 9 <laughs> mm-hmm. episode. From the West Coast, possibly the best coast, it's Kevin Kerner.
1: Thank you for that delightful introduction. Uh, it's great to be back. The Four Timers Club here.
0: Four Timers. Um, Get you a is, robe.
1: Mm-hmm. That is delightful. I, uh, uh, thank you for having me back. And uh, this is really nice because I, I actually have been listening to you guys a lot more than I have been. Go for walks around the neighborhood because I didn't have a car until uh, Friday. I bought a car on Friday. Oh, congrats. Um, I guess I could listen to the pod in the car too.
2: Like, mm-hmm. but just They have the technology.
1: I associate the walking with the pod. And so like, it's cool. I, I, I know where you guys are. Well, I know a little bit more about where you guys are than if like we were just texting back and forth because I've heard you talk, you know, for 20 hours over the past 20 (laughs) weeks
0: you know sometimes I I forget that the things I say are committed to some kind of record and that people are (laughs) listening to them long after I think about them oh yeah when I'm reminded of that it fills me with both honor and a kind of dread Mm. (laughs) but I appreciate you listening yeah it's great yeah uh yeah so you know where we're at mentally then (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and and uh for the most part i'm right there with you
0: okay cool because i feel like i've been just waking up for the past four weeks no matter yeah. what time of day it is i feel like i just woke up uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's just like coffee time and
2: booze time are just it yeah. it's just they're just kind of merging together
1: yeah the, the other day i was like i know jay you've talked before about trying to not play video games when the sun's up Just like a a distinction that you make. And like a couple weeks ago, I just was like, it was like 2 p.m. I'm like, I'm just going to play Smash Brothers for like six hours now. Yeah. You know. Um, I
0: started drinking at 5 o'clock yesterday. A.M.? Yep. (laughs) No, no, p.m., p.m. (laughs) To be fair, the sun was almost down. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: that's the worst part about early daylight savings when it's just like, yeah, 5 o'clock on the dot, it's just. Pitch black outside, and you just kind of want to go to sleep, but come to a a good four hours. Come
1: to a latitude that's further north, man. It is, like, you've got, like, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Like, Mm -hmm. those are your hours here. Uh, I I knew it was going to be bad, because I was here in December um, when I came out and interviewed, but I didn't realize it would be this bad. Like, the other week, it was, like, 4 o'clock, and it was just, like... I didn't have any lights on in my apartment. It was 4 o'clock and everything was dark. And I just
0: I was like, wow, is it is it time for bed? Like, what, yeah. <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, I would just lay down and then get up mm. at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: it's it's. – I've gotten a habit where I'm, like, taking naps at, like, 7 o'clock at night just for, like, an hour or something like that. And then I wake up and then I, just, I can't get to sleep until, like, 12, 1, 1 in the morning, so –
1: well. I something's got to give props <laughs> props so. for you on making it till seven there are there have been a lot of days where like because i'm working from home now i'll make lunch and i may not eat breakfast or i may not eat a big breakfast so i'll make a big lunch at like 2 p.m and then it's it's over like it's over yeah. at that point because i just i'll just like take a nap and then it's 3 30 and i'm like well i gotta do some more work today and like respond to these emails or whatever but you know for for a few weeks I was doing that like two times a week, which was kinda weird, but I guess that's what happens when your lunch staple consists of uh like a, a giant egg scramble with like two potatoes in it. Like
2: that'll do it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Eggs and potatoes in the same pan.
1: Oh yeah. So so you if I can if we can really get into this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the
0: egg cast. Uh, <laughs> this is the egg cast. Continue. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So uh, I like red potatoes. That's that's where I'm at right now. And mm-hmm. I, I cube them real small, like, like quarter of an inch. And then you you fry those up so you get those browned. And then for a few minutes, just some onions, peppers, jalapenos, if that's their thing. Because, you know, who doesn't like some jalapenos? Then you turn your heat down, throw in the eggs, and you just keep mixing it and mixing it. And then throw in some cheddar cheese because it's not heavy enough already. Mm-hmm. And then to cut all the grease, maybe some some fresh scallions on top of it.
2: Oh, okay. It cuts the grease, the scallions. It just it like absorbs them. Is that the idea? Well imagine you've got like in,
1: like a, a bagel with cream cheese. And there's just like a lot of fat and a lot of grease in that and it just like it's mouth coating. And mm. that like if you think about a green onion on there or just like something pickled like, that sharpness cuts through all of the fat that's going on. So that's yeah. kind of the palette I'm working with.
2: You've got a very discerning, very subtle palate where you just, like, you're seeing multitudes in, in every bite, and I'm constantly impressed. As someone who douses everything in hot sauce, and it's just it's just like the Las Vegas of just <laughs> pure crass and uh,
0: just uh, aid and ego or whatever the thing is. And, yeah, I mean, you just got to learn. You got to... Learn how to spice, and it's it's an it's a never, it's to a never ending uh, education. I gotta say, mm. uh, Kevin, when when you put these eggs into the <laughs> potatoes, do you find that the eggs just kind of vanish into the potatoes? Because I have no, that they, problem. They don't really absorb. Well, I, I want like a I want like a fluffy scrambled egg, like chunks, mix in with these potatoes. But whenever I've done that, I don't know if just the potatoes get so broken down that it's like I can barely tell there's or I mean the eggs. I can barely tell there's eggs left.
1: That might be it. There's been some ratio issues. Like if the, the eggs are a little smaller than usual and I've got like a big potato, like then I'm mostly just eating a fried potato. Then yeah. I might as well have like a hash brown because that's basically what I've made, right? Right, 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 yeah.
0: Mm. Whereas just instead not... you're you're kind of making home fries. Yeah. You know. So are these like ba- – because I buy the bagged red potatoes from uh, Valley Farm here, and they're kind of like – smaller than in my fist i would say so do you do like one of those or a couple of those i'll do
1: like i'll do like one one like it's just slightly larger than a golf ball sized one you okay. know what i mean uh yeah. once you get to like about the baseball size then you're like you're pushing it on your upper limit of potato to egg ratio yeah it's a lot of and stuff. usually usually i'm like a two egg it just Me seems too. excessive to go three eggs you know
0: yeah, I've done 3 eggs in the past. Occasionally my my mom would make me breakfast and be like, "Oh, how many eggs do you want? 2 or 3?" And I'm, and I'm just like, "3." <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like that's the only <laughs> time I've ever done like 3 eggs. It just seems like it's just it's too many eggs. Yeah, I just see like if you have over easy or like sunny yeah. side up eggs,
1: nobody wants to see 3 of those on a plate. No. That just like aesthetically, I don't get
0: it. Yeah, I, I it's just it's just a lot i mean unless you were just eating the three eggs unless it was like a three egg scramble and that's it maybe but still maybe it's- i like
2: having like an an even amount of eggs from the carton because what there's like 12 eggs in a carton so if you kind of do an odd number then you kind of have to go to a second carton or just it's it's if you' only, it screws up like just the the amount you're taking and just you gotta you might only have one left one day, and then what do you do with one egg? Well, yeah,
0: I mean, just make an nice On
1: the bright side, whether you get the carton eggs back. that are a dozen or 18, those are both very versatile numbers. They're incredibly divisible. So, like, 12, you got 1, 2, 3, 4, 6. Like, you have a lot of outs there, even if you're going odd. 18, uh, same, same thing. We got 1, 2, 3, 6, 9 on that one. So yeah, you've got a lot of outs. You can make yourself a nine egg omelet.
0: You could and still or a, have outs. A quiche, a quiche like reheats really well, and it's surprisingly easy to make.
1: Yeah, I should get into quiches.
0: Yeah, I like, need I, like a need the pan. Yeah, you need the pan, and also it's like maybe share the quiche because I've made like a whole quiche for myself for like the week, and by Wednesday I'm sick of quiche.
1: <laughs> yeah, but. Then they're like just discrete. They're discrete meals. You just cut yourself a slice and it's just like, I have a meal. And there's something yeah, about true. that that's just so appealing to me. Whether it's uh, I make myself a pizza and like, mm-hmm. well, now I like think of my slices and I have meals. Or if I had an apple pie, like that slice is a meal, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Oh, and so I think you, you, you would do like a, uh, just a slice of pie as a meal? For breakfast. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's like one of my
1: favorite breakfasts, slice of apple pie, a cup of coffee. Do you warm it up? The
0: pie, no. Okay, but the coffee cold pie you do and cold pizza.
2: Yeah, all, all uh, circle shaped dishes, you know, that could be cut into eighths tend to be better cold than hot.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, or room temp. No, it's
2: not. A, it's not an ironclad rule, but it seems like we, it, it's. It's not something we ever complain about. It's yeah. a pattern. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And I sense that we have a certain bounty when it comes to our food. And we're able to like speak of food longingly, and you know, I can talk about like a flavor palette. Whereas the the first European settlers to Jamestown, they really weren't able to uh, have any of those concerns. They, like they were eating their their shoes and their belts.
2: Right, boiling boiling uh, boots in, in a in a pot and drinking water out of a dirty well. Probably, mm-hmm. but still digging for that gold. Uh, that's right, we're talking about the 2005 box office bomb, but cinematic classic, The New World, written and directed by Terrence Malick. This is our first Malick film on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a... His movies are the closest that I think you can really come to having like a religious, spiritual experience while watching a movie. I always feel like I should be kind of like sitting, like, uh, like almost praying at the, at the foot of the screen before <laughs> the credits start rolling. Uh,
0: Which now, is, just now, this now that was your the- first. theaters are
2: dead, you can do that anytime mm-hmm. you want. That could, yeah. You know, theaters and churches are kind of they they have very similar layouts, mm-hmm. both for like an audience and just like a kind of a, a pulpit at the front of the screen, mm-hmm. the front front of the uh, the room.
1: I'm thinking of the old uh, Calvin and Hobbes strip, where he uh, he's Prostrating himself in front of the television and leaving a bowl of warm tapioca as representative <laughs> of his brain, and he's saying, This is my offering to you. And then the last panel of the strip is like his dad coming in and being like, What the heck is this? Like somebody just left a bowl of tapioca in front of a television that's turned on.
0: You know, I've Bill's got his a... character. <laughs> I'm going to read that entire series again because I feel like the answer is probably in there. Probably. Were... What's the. What's... <laughs> What's the question though? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's in there too. Jaya, you were gonna ask, you. What were you gonna ask me?
2: Well, I was gonna say like, well, uh, Kevin and I, we we've seen some Terrence Malick films in theaters together. We I think I think we both have a, like a somewhat respect for this guy uh, and enjoyment. We we, we traveled to, to to Philadelphia a few times to go see the the new Malick
0: movies. Nice. Uh,
2: Justin, this was your first one. Is that right? Um, have you seen any of this guy's work before?
0: Nope. Nope. This is my first one. I remember my parents rented the Thin Red Line. Mm. And I maybe heard a little bit of that while I was upstairs playing Goldeneye. Um, but other than that, no, I've never seen uh, any of his movies until now, which I I thought I had had. Uh, you know what? I feel like I maybe saw Tree of Life, but I might have blacked out. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> um but i feel it like, it feels like a movie my friend chris would have rented and we would have watched when it came out on video
2: because
0: hmm. i remember bits and pieces of it and then brad pitt and i remember it, like it jumps like through time a bunch right Yep. okay yeah i don't maybe i saw it but yeah this is the uh first one i feel like a
1: yeah so first first real like dive into malik justin what are your what are your thoughts
0: um, I I liked it. I thought that uh, I don't know. I I'm trying to like like how much of this movie is Terrence Malick and how much of it is Emmanuel Lubezki, for me. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it, it's like a lot of it's the visuals, which is him. So maybe I don't know. I don't know enough about Terrence Malick to like know his his style or his thing so like uh but so i can't really i I don't really have any like frame of reference for that but i'm a huge fan of lubezki because he's uh been done the cinematography for a number of my favorite movies including birdman Burn after reading children of men revenant birdman gravity Mm -hmm. birdman did we say birdman birdman (laughs) It's all one shot. Yeah, he did. Also, he was a cinematographer in The Bird Cage, so he's done multiple mm-hmm. bird movies. And The Cat in the Hat, Enemy of Birds. So, um, No, I thought it was a beautiful film. Uh, I was a little, I watched it Friday night, and when you texted me Jaya and you were like, um, you should watch the extended <laughs> cut, uh, my shoulders like sagged um, <laughs> when I saw the runtime of this. Uh, and I was like, well, here we go. But it was a it was a quick uh five hundred minutes or however long it was. Um it's no it was like, it was engaging. It's like hundred eighty. Yeah, it's not that bad. It was It's like it seven
1: eighths of a magnolia.
0: Right, right. Um, but with like barely any dialogue or really like I don't know. It was just it was it was beautifully shot and mm-hmm. uh very sparse kind of story. So I liked it a lot, yeah. I mean, this might have, like, the most
2: plot of any Terrence Malick film that's great that he's done. So, <laughs> Wow. All
0: right. I like that Christian uh, Bale was, like, third build and didn't show up until, like, the last uh, half hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, like, we are two hours and, like, <laughs> ten minutes into a three-hour movie. And then one of your top three build actors finally shows up. That's, yeah. I
0: thought I missed him. That's a them. real
1: power move.
0: Mm-hmm. I was like, because all these English dirty Englishmen look exactly the same to me because they're all wet and covered in mud. And I was like, well, maybe he yeah. was one of them. <laughs> maybe i just missed them
1: but within all the dirty englishmen there's like a who's who of people going on there you've got like ben mendelssohn's in there um uh,
2: now, noah, uh, noah taylor noah taylor yeah eddie marsan and then like jonathan price shows up at the end as king james <laughs> yeah oh and, and um david Thulis?
0: yeah, yeah david, exactly. the, the That's, uh, that was the name great he villain from Potter. uh
2: from fargo season three or two Season three and uh, Lupin from Harry Potter. Yeah, Kevin yeah. said that. So,
1: um, Yeah, so it, yeah. there's a, a who's who of cast in there that are just sort of sidelined at will, which is kind mm-hmm. of a hallmark of a Malick film. If you've seen Thin Red Line, like... Yeah. Who is it? Clooney shows up, delivers a speech, and
2: leaves? <laughs> Clooney's in it really briefly. I believe that... Who got cut out? It was like uh, Bill Pullman was... His he's just not in it at all. Mickey Rourke as well. I did read oh, that. Adrian, he's...
1: Adrian Brody was one of the leads, and he has like six minutes of screen time. Yeah, like in the original script, Adrian Brody was like this folks of a story, and then in the editing, everybody was like, "No, it's not." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did read that he edits up until the last minute, and he makes a lot of changes, and yeah. like obviously does a lot of different cuts. So I think that's interesting. It's
1: not clear to me looking at what's been written about him and what other people have said to him um like how how much he's actually doing and how much he's just like checking off on and okaying and like creating the environment for something to happen he feels a little bit like um like milch in the way that he just sort of creates the environment for these things to happen um sort of in the way that milch writes because when you look at like editing on his films he's usually got like four or five editors and they're all working on like separate pieces of it and then other people are working on like the transitions between the segments and it just sort of feels like i don't ever think that he has a specific like we need to have this shot now or these are the words that we need to see it's more just like he creates the environment in which things can happen and everybody's along for the ride and willing to, you know, shoot a million feet of film on a on a project that's going to gross like $100,000 at the theater at best. <laughs> and somehow people get on board with this, but yeah, it it's gives you a really different conception of like artistic ownership because you have, everybody knows what a malick film is. Everybody knows what they're seeing when they see a malick film. But as far as like him specifically taking out his paintbrush and, like, this is the canvas I want or this is this specific sound design or whatever, I, th- I feel like he, m- he may just create the environment and provide suggestions and-, and sort of maybe nudge people in certain directions. But,
2: yeah. There's a quote from uh, Olga Kirilenko. uh She was one of the stars of uh, To the Wonder, the uh, the Ben Affleck and Rachel McAdams in Javier Bardem, <laughs> Malik film, that made about half a million dollars. Uh, and she just says like you know they're on set and he just ma- they have to like ADR most of his movies because he's just kind of like right by the camera just saying keep moving keep moving don't stop just keep go go twirl around twirl around you know dance dance and just he just keeps giving like just these intense directions to the actors and it's probably why there's poking, so much voiceover poking them with a stick yeah exactly <laughs> so much voiceover so much magic hour so much so many hands uh, grazing fields of wheat straight out of gladiator 2 of course Mm -hmm. have you guys done gladiator on the pod no no i haven't seen that movies i don't believe 2003 probably well we did do
1: one redley movie
2: that's right we did do blade runner so
1: yeah so Uh, it's um it's interesting to think about his process and then kind of what comes out of it and it's definitely kind of lyrical or poetry if you want to think about it that way but just in your tone poem yeah the tone poem just in your response of like yeah i liked it but i'm not quite sure what it was i think most people when they see malik films for the first time have that reaction first time i saw a tree of life i had even seen i'd probably seen thin red line and probably um uh the the first one the um badlands martin she yeah badlands thank you And even after seeing Thin Red or seeing Tree of Life, like I came out of that film and I really wanted one of my friends to have like a hot take on it specifically so that I could have the alternate take. I just wanted to feel like very strongly in one direction and they all didn't really know what to feel about it. And I just like sort of sat in this uncertainty for a a very long time about that film. And now it's one of my favorites. Like Mm. I've, you know... Getting in the right mindset when you're watching that can just like crush you, I think. Uh, but the even having seen his work before, and
0: watching uh, Tree of Life, I was like, I'm not sure what to do with this, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I I I get the movie. I think I just wasn't sure, like, um, as far as like judging it on Terrence Malick's career. I'm I, I this this being my first one, it just didn't feel like um. I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was expecting something more like from the bare minimum. I remember from tree of life, something a little bit like less like more fragmented and more up for interpretation and more abstract. Whereas this is like pretty straightforward kind of story, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, historically, I I mean, we can talk about didn't really happen as far as the love story kind of angle. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I thought that, I I think the whole time I had a foreboding that it was going to build to some kind of uh, incredibly depressing slaughter of these of these Native Americans. Like, I don't know. You know, I think that like a lot of movies like this that I've seen in the past do that in kind of a pornographic way <laughs> like you Just know like, violent, a, like a
1: series of progressively worsening decisions and yeah. misunderstandings and miscommunications that eventually leads to like you know the first casualty right and then that's the thing that sets you down the path it's the same thing of like you know warring gangs or different tribes or different clans or like you know gangs of new york
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, and um, I, I think it felt the way... that I appreciated that they didn't do that because it felt more real. Like, the, the fight scenes felt clumsy and awkward. Not from, like, you know, because they're obviously choreographed pretty heavily. um, And, yeah, he is there, like, in the... I watched the Making Of feature on YouTube, and then, like, he is there, like, shouting commands, and, like, they spent a lot of time on it, but it felt like a real kind of fight. You know what I mean? Where it's just... It's not... I don't know. It's not you know. I'm not like watching 300, where everything's like a Zack Snyder film and slowed down and these epic kind of things. It's like no. Everybody's just kind of like hitting each other and trying not to get hit. And it's like ah, oh, you know. It's like very like, you know, two dudes in a parking lot trying to fight, and they're just like ah, oh, you know. It's not really like glamorized, which I thought was um, was 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 good. I don't know. Which is interesting.
1: Uh, the, the word glamorized in this. Context because the entire film is like is beautiful yeah and yet Mm -hmm. like when we're watching one of those fights like the big the big brouhaha outside of the fort and just like the lighting and what's going on with that it's pretty it's pretty wild it's like overwhelming
2: yeah I mean like the sequence after John Smith like he, he gets like captured but he then he lives with with the natives for like a I don't know a month or two maybe longer. And then when he finally does come back to like that fort, it's just like he's like walking around like almost like a movie set of nature. It's just like what is this? Like you know, we, there's a, there's a better way of just of, of living in this world, and you just chopped these trees down, made this like this kind of disgusting fort, and like you're <laughs> all starving because you don't know how to live with nature or just you know ask the earth you know just to provide or just live in in, in harmony with it. It's and, like, like a different planet.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting it's, and depressing. It's, it's- <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. like everybody's starving those kids are just like assholes like i don't know it's just like none of it uh it's like this is supposed to be the big plan <laughs> like we're just gonna yeah. send people over and like they don't know what they're i don't know like wh- just look just to find this
2: look for gold <laughs> yeah. just to make metal and uh to i guess ship back to the king right
0: yeah, yeah.
1: What, like, what What was your plan here? What were <laughs> yeah. you expecting?
0: Did you not have any seeds? Like, did you not, like... It didn't seem like any of them knew how to hunt. I mean, the the fish went away, they and wrought, they, were, they brought guns, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they
2: just, just started stomping around, whipping their dicks out, and just, like, this is ours now, pissing everywhere. It started to get crass, but that's what it kind of feels like. Yeah, and you think about just...
1: it. You know, there's no general story. You can't go buy more gunpowder or more bullets once you're there. No. Mm-hmm. So... What are you gonna you gonna mine for the materials at that point? Well, that
2: takes some infrastructure, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, what did you expect coming here? <laughs> yeah. Like, like they they like they were digging more for gold than actually digging like a well for drinking water. Yeah, wasn't that one? Yeah, of those? that was one of the <laughs> yeah.
0: scenes. Yeah. Yeah, they're starving, but they're instead of like, go, yeah, going to like hunt or find food, they're just like trying mm-hmm. to buy like find gold. And he tells there's, them like it's a curse.
1: There's a handful of beats in this film that are. Really drive the metaphors and sort of the the themes home, and one of them is like when um, you know I nobody ever calls a character Pocahontas, so I, I feel mm. weird calling the character Pocahontas. And I, I watched
0: it with subtitles, and it's subtitled as Pocahontas, if yeah. that helps. But Rebecca, um, when <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca
1: Rolf, Rebecca Rolf, when she when she comes and lives at the fort, and the the woman comes in and it's like she's going to take care of you now. I mean, so that, that part was just really cringeworthy just of like, Oh, this, we're going to teach this person how to be a respectable English gentlewoman. But the one conversation that they have when she's like, why do they like, why do they look for gold? You can't eat it. Like, can't they just make it? Like who, who cares? Yeah. And she, the, the woman doesn't have an answer for him. And that's like one of the, one of the handful of times in the film Where it actually is like, hey, hey, we're actually going to verbalize what some of the thematic elements of this film is other than unspoiled beauty and nature and and harmony and living with land. The idea of like this resource that you think you want, like what is it actually providing for you? And I think that is that's one of the times that like if you haven't really been paying attention, you can actually sit up and get some clarity. Mm Yeah, Totally.
2: Yeah, because it, it yeah, there, there's that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I mean, there's the moment where she's like reading, like uh, she, I think uh, later on, Christian Bill's like teaching her how to read and like kind of just like paging through like a textbook or something, and or there was maps of the world. Probably and the she Bible. Asked that question is the Bible. And she's like, why does the earth have colors? Yeah. It's just like I, I guess it's just like that's the idea of like maybe assigning value judgments to like this is like just, you know why is really you know this is blue cuz it's the water this is green cuz it's the land but like it's all like one thing and you know even the way you shade something could just connotate different types of like the tone of it, your relationship with this image and uh, I just thought that was a question that was just kind of lingering with me why do we need to why give everything this, a name yeah yeah why well, yeah why does earth, why does the earth have colors
0: she was in the same sentence she's like what's a day yeah yeah, it's yeah, time. Yeah. yeah,
2: sixty minutes is in, a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in an hour.
1: Yeah, that also it's is like, you... <laughs> pretty. If if you actually want to stop and think about it, and you're you're not you didn't just smoke a bong to your face, like <laughs> what's a day, bro? But literally, <laughs> yes. like the the place of innocence that she's coming from, which is not even really a place of innocence, in it's just a completely different understanding of this, you know, European centric notion of manifest destiny and. Uh, self-importance but just the idea of like what distinguishes one day from the next or what is even a day and like why do you why do you need to label it and why do you take your sun up to sundown or sun up to sun up and you think about let's divide this into 24 and let's divide Mm -hmm. each of those 24s into 60 and divide each of those 60s into 60s and what are you trying to parcel out what are you trying to measure and you're just you're watching sand tick away is what you're watching right mm-hmm. you know it's just how much time have we been here and how much time have we have left and compared to like the the native uh, as per, presented in this film of like you know things come and things pass and like this too shall pass sort of sort of attitude towards it and that's sort of that striking sort of uh, founding metaphor or founding conceit for a society and how they sort of come into contact conflict with each other right
2: yeah what do you need time for if we're all just kind of living together and helping each other live, like just we're, we're not setting appointments like you know I, i'll see a tuesday at three o'clock to to go do this capitalism thing or go to go mine for ore it's just it's like no if we need food we'll we'll help you get food or we'll help you live it, it's yeah the concept of time is is that's 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 uh, that's what's damning us all, One could argue.
1: And to to quote a very on-the-nose line from uh David Fincher film, Jaya, if everybody thought that way, there'd be no wars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which film is that?
2: Ben Button. I mm, haven't seen that yet. Uh, I, did, I have not revisited that one. I was just talking about this the other day. That, but now with Fincher having like a... A
0: moment. <laughs> Might be worth the Mankment. The Mankment. It seems like an odd film for him to attach himself to, like an odd story. Maybe just because I've been yeah. watching a lot of Mindhunter and Zodiac and, you know, like all these, like kind of, I don't know, it just seems like a, just a different tone. It's well, a I think first his dad wrote
2: the script, so I think there's like this big personal connection to it. Mm.
1: So, Who wrote the script? Uh, Fincher's father. I thought it was um, the dude that wrote Forrest Gump.
2: Uh, not sure it? his dad. His dad wrote the script. Huh. Uh, oh no! Wait. Yeah, screenplay by Jack Fincher. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. He died in th- no
1: 03 but the first film that he's done that's not about psychopaths.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was like, unless ben, I haven't seen it. Is Ben Button a psychopath? I
1: don't know. No, he just ages backwards.
0: You know what a good movie is? Jack. <laughs> I've Jack never seen it. Pod. Should do a double feature, of Jack and Benjamin Button.
2: Jack and Benjamin Button. The other movies, are just w- weird ways that time affects the body. <laughs> like kind of slightly, slightly sci-fi.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, our 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 one friend in school did that for his thesis. Somebody living backwards.
2: Um, Is mean, it, it called? Was it called about time? No, time time's arrow. I think. Time's arrow. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I may have cut some of that too. So back in the day shout out to tommy strauss yeah. wherever you are <laughs> shout out tommy strauss <laughs> someone i've lost contact with over the last 10 years or so i'm
0: sure he's one of our between 60 and 80 <laughs> listeners
2: <laughs> that many man that's cool
1: yeah that's cool sure there's a big platform here yeah hey it's responsible you know we're, we're gonna be it yeah. responsibly
0: oh of course we're putting, as putting you in front of uh, a,
2: <laughs> you know giving kevin kevin kerner a platform yeah. uh could be a question of being responsible but
1: as as uncle ben once said
0: <laughs> with great power <laughs> comes with great, great power
1: they fly now oh okay mm. <laughs> they fly now
0: they fly now um yeah
1: and there was so what, do you, what do you guys think about kind of this reconception of or this myth-making aspect of this so this is like the founding myth of america and this is a lens that malik is is seeing it through it's it's not conquest exactly the lens that he's using and it's not colonialism it's not like capital extraction he's looking at it through a very different lens and i was wondering kind of what's your take on that myth-making or re-myth-making process that's going on in this film
0: um yeah i had, I had uh some complicated thoughts about it because in the beginning it seems like um, I don't remember the name of the, the captain who uh, – he saves Colin, Colin Farrell, and he's like, oh, don't hang him after all. Uh, the captain guy, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, he leaves yeah. and then comes back You know, on that six-month whatever. How, how long, I wonder how long did it take for those ships to get, to get there and back? Probably a long time, right? Like four months maybe? Yeah. Um, and you you
1: could only do it at certain times based on the conditions too. Right,
0: yeah, because they said they, they can't sail out until spring at one point or they're maybe they're waiting for him to come back. But anyway, yeah. So it seems like they're in much of a mode of like, he's like, Oh, we're not, we don't want to anger the, um, the native people here. Uh, it, it seems it comes from like a lens of like coexisting and just like, there's enough space for all of us. But then like, you know, an hour and a half later, they're burning their crops and all this. It just like, doesn't work out. Like, it just seems like no matter what they do, it just, there's always some kind of misunderstanding um and there's also they they do it as far as like the um the chief of the of the tr- the local tribe uh is like very adamant of like, no, we gotta get rid of these people. like he can stay here for the summer. you guys can have your summer fling, whatever you want to do, learn what you can from them. but then uh you you need to take your people and get the hell out of here because like if we don't stop them now, they're just gonna kill us later. you know what I mean it's like he he's comes from just a immense distrust, which I mean, you live in your life and all of a sudden these giant like ships come out of nowhere and they're just like people wearing just floating islands, like, you know, yeah. Shooting fire out of their hands and wearing magical armor. You know what I mean? It's like, um, it's crazy. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It seemed like, um, I, I, I want to say that the, um, negative part of me thinks that it probably wasn't the, he, his vision was a little bit more well-intentioned than it probably actually was. Um, I mean, the men that he came over with clearly didn't give a fuck uh, about killing people. Like, the one guy steal, takes the hammer or the something like that, and he just shoots him. And then Colin Farrell takes him into the in the river, and he's, like, <laughs> dipping his head in the water being, look, we're punishing him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. And then also, I was like, uh, maybe uh, I'm curious what you two think... About the, the, the like the depiction of like the Native Americans like was very accurate. They did like a lot of research and like actually hired real people um, with like Native an- ancestry to like recreate and like remake this like whole language, the Algonquin language of, of Virginia and all this stuff. Um, but then like we're also seeing it through a colonial lens of like, oh, these people are pure. But it's like, well, they're still human. I'm sure there was some assholes there, right? Like it just seemed like is this is this a weird, unfair kind of vision of these people? Is it, like, demeaning in some way to say that, like, oh, look, they're pure and perfect and untouched,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Whereas, like, And there were some, like, stylistic choices, like, especially when John Smith gets captured by them, just the way they kind of, the editing kind of, like, ramps up just to kind of create this unsettling kind mm-hmm. of vibe that could be construed as, like, yes, these are, like, boogeymen or just... You know this alien relationship yes. that he has with them, but then it also does just treats like just their vision with like i i would say the utmost respect yeah. and uh, yeah, how much is like depiction how does that equal endorsement and yeah, I don't know or it's or a not? it's it's
0: weird I don't know I just didn't know how to how I was supposed to navigate that I guess
1: it's a really weird it's a it's a really tough line to walk in this instance too because the the sort of two major competing perspectives have two vastly different ways of recording their history Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in that period of time as well. The Europe has the written word and indigenous people have oral traditions. And so listening to watching some of the behind the scenes stuff and listening to um, some of the people with native ancestry talk about their heritage and talk about, customs that was that were passed down from 400 years ago and i'm thinking your knowledge from 400 years ago is based on a a mode of communication that that we in like a eurocentric mindset like we have been taught to distrust the oral tradition right because it's not set down in stone but Mm -hmm. anytime you write a thing it's it's a it's obviously part of uh, it's a reflection of the cultural milieu at the time that you're writing it. So, um, why you might go back and do a historical investigation on, at a certain point of time, um, you know, has a lot to do with what's going on in modern day as, as you're writing it. But with something like this, it's like there's these also these two competing ways of recording history, and I I don't know if Malik is able to combine the two because this is this feels not like a historical epic right this doesn't feel like you're hitting your historical beats you know it it has more in common with poetry which is you know a spoken thing on the other hand it's it's been put down you know it's been recorded so there's also that tension going on there as well so a lot to unpack here
0: yeah yeah it's just like what yeah what is he trying to say with this movie You know, like, I just don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to take as sincere. I guess it's just maybe the point of it is just these two, like, worlds just kind of trying to make sense of everything. And then maybe that's it you know
2: i mean malik's always been extremely interested in just in nature itself and just like i think there's that one quote from like thin red line where the guy's just like why does nature vie against itself you know just over shots of just men blowing each other up in like in these lush beautiful jungles and he's trying to just yeah he's trying to unpack something about our capacity for reason and instinct and uh yeah, like there's got to be a better way. I, I I don't know if you guys watch the show Lodge Forty Nine, but there's the one main character. He's just like keeps telling the story. It's like you know, for three thousand years, these Indians just lived on these beaches. They just fished and fished and like, you know, told stories and camped out and just surfed all day for three thousand years. Like, why, why can't we go back to doing that? You know, <laughs> what what did, did we just exchange? <sighs> what was this deal with the devil we made just for modernity and technology that, and we lost a part of our soul on that, on that journey towards it.
1: You know what the word we were looking for was like three minutes ago? (laughs) What's the word?
2: Empathy. That's what,
1: empathy. That's what he's talking about. It's like a radical understanding between two very different cultures. Like what needs to make that possible? And it's like, well, well, Empathy is not sympathy, obviously, and radical understanding really doesn't even quite cover the concept of empathy. But you need to be willing to like be uh, dramatically like hurt, like to be able to have some sort of you know some sort of success in understanding somebody else in that concept. But even even in that sense, like think about how we conceptualize the idea of a conversation or a discussion or an argument. If you conceptualize an argument in terms of um, attacks. So he attacked all of the, all of my weak points versus thinking of an argument, conceptualizing it as a dance, as in you're going back and forth with your partner and you're trying to like find out how to move within this construct. Mm -hmm. Like, that's two vastly different ways of understanding an argument, a verbal argument, and those sort of metaphors also, like, I don't know, makes you think about language and how that functions as well. And we're not really talking about the movie anymore, are we,
0: or are we? I uh, know. I think so. Well, it's it's just like trying to find a some kind of way of existing together and some kind of compromise. Because I think not to get political, uh, but like you know, we're living in a time <laughs> where we've never been more. Isolated are these and polarized times, Justin. What's mm-hmm. un- well, yeah, Look, we're all in this living together. in an uncertain time. I think, I, I, and you could coin me as saying that. You know, I I think
1: uh, <laughs> we're we're almost. I'm just going to round up. We've been doing this for a year now because it feels like a decade. Um, so these times are now precedented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So okay. starting from now forward, in these precedented times. All right.
0: Sounds good. I'm into that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm. This is the distinction. Great. Today, Sunday. Whatever it is, November something's. Yeah, the original idea was this is our Thanksgiving, or this was going to be the Thanksgiving episode. Yeah,
2: right? I, 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 yeah, it was a kind, of, kind of the founding of America. What are we thankful for? Uh, not, not quite the thank. You know, there wasn't a scene in this film of like them actually sitting down at a table with pilgrims and, and Native Americans. But
1: Well I, I think there is. Oh, I... the scene in the winter time, they bring the food. Yeah, that is absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That conception of the first Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. I loved. I love that. I'm just saying,
2: there was no football on the TV. There was no uh, fucking stuffing and perfectly roasted turkey. That's all I'm saying. No, it is. It is starving my Thanksgiving. It was a gourd. It
1: is starving men grabbing (laughs) pieces of food away from native people, (laughs) and like, like being amazed at the bounty of like one drumstick that they're sharing between three people because I haven't seen anything like that in months. And that compared to, if you think about what you did in like kindergarten, first grade, you know, the, do the drawn out turkeys from your hand mm-hmm. and like the construction paper, pilgrim hats,
2: yeah,
1: and of like acting out the first Thanksgiving, you know. No, these people were dying of starvation. It was awful. Mm-hmm. It was like probably one of the worst ways to die because it's protracted and you just progressively get weaker and weaker and weaker. And then eventually, you know you eat somebody. Mm
2: -hmm. They didn't have the luxury of building like a outdoor dining room table just to (laughs) have a symbolic meal on.
1: No, there, there was no standing on ceremony. Like this was, this was starvation. This was awful. And I think that presentation of that really puts in perspective the degree to which, uh, at least in this retelling of the founding myth, like these people would have died there's like there's really no question in my mind if if this is like close to what happened these people would have died oh totally. without without this food mm-hmm. you know
0: was this supposed i mean historically this isn't the first thanksgiving that took place in 1621 i'm looking at um mm-hmm. at plymouth plantation it was like it was the first successful harvest successful growing season but uh, do you think terence Malick was trying to like kind of it is kind of on the nose of like oh it's cold now here here have some gourds and some meat you know like yeah and, yeah i don't know
1: i so yeah i, I forgot about uh, plymouth rock and all that yeah. of being that of the, that story and this this is jamestown so no i absolutely we watched
2: the, we watched the wrong movie <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah, I watched we, the we, let's start movie.
0: let's hit stop let's start over no i mean uh... what we to do charlie brown thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> i think i think it is like i'm sure he's i'm sure the intent it feels like it's there. It's not something yeah, I thought I absolutely, of until now.
1: Absolutely read it that way. Yeah. Um, not to say that that wasn't the intention at all, but you know, one of the things about Malick films is you get to sort of rabbit hole in in these sort of interstitial details of of sort of what they mean beyond like, hey, we saw that person in that other Marvel film, you know, intertextuality. But this is, this is in conversation with 400 years of like literature and art that came before it as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and cultural practice, if I talk about kindergarten and first grade and acting out the first Thanksgiving and, you know, thinking about sort of the cultural significance of that and how this stands pretty much in direct opposition to that uh,
0: experience, you know. It's more one-sided where it's like, no, you're literally just helping us it's not like a yeah we would have died yeah <laughs> i do that like Boy, that they were like oh the table. thank god for you may god be with you and all this stuff and it's like we just grew <laughs> like i don't know we just grew these these plants like here like it's so pathetic it's just like it's just like yeah uh here you go <laughs> i don't know it's just <laughs> it's not some miracle <laughs> like they fucking like i mean I, I i get it it's like a again it goes back to like what was your plan like <laughs> fucking idiots it's like yes the natives had a head start they were there longer but i wish you'd seen more of new england we got to see like one shot of like john smith going like further north and then uh founding what he found like yeah he named new england right new england i think so yeah it was just like far to the north and we get like two shots of him like can't find
2: a passage to china and then he's like hanging out with like a new like Native girlfriend slash manic pixie girl. They just like that's his like kind of. That's his, his type. His, uh, yeah, his, his rebound. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I felt no, like that uh, was probably somehow like Maine or something. I, I don't remember. I didn't look up exactly mm-hmm. where that was, but if yeah, it feels like or Newfoundland.
1: We're yeah, we're Newfoundland. We're Maine. We're somewhere there.
2: That's where
0: my uh, cold. My great 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 grandmother was Mohawk and from the. Quebec area, so trying to get that dual citizenship baby. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here, but but no, like she, yeah, she's from like kind of like that that kind of like northeast um, area.
1: Were any of the is is any of her history handed down? Like, do you know much about her?
0: Not, not as much as we have like old photographs of her. But I, I I wish I had. So I got to talk to my aunt because I feel like she knows more about this stuff i was i got like a two-week free trial in ancestry and then i was kind of going back um and i found some more photos of like her with like my great-grandfather like as a baby just like you know sitting in a field frowning as most people did back then <laughs> but um but no yeah I, I, yeah i don't know she was she was married to a frenchman that's all I that's know well t-
1: it's <laughs> tough to smile for the for the thirty seconds that you had
0: to expose
2: a photograph <laughs> yeah yeah day, right
0: wait, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some
2: guy he's just got this like weird device on some legs and he's putting like a drape over himself, yeah <laughs> he says cheese, but I, I wonder like you said you got a free like got a two week trial on ancestry dot com and I just wonder like, yeah, how many people are doing that because really, do you need to like have that like a monthly subscription to ancestry dot com to keep check like they're not really updating these records too often, I imagine. Well, it's a so.
0: communal thing. Like, other people will up, upload okay. photographs and birth certificates. It's, once you go back far mm. enough, it's mostly, like, you know, Pierre Chavon was born in this church, and that's it. That's all you know about him. Like, I yeah. found out, like, one of my... I think my great-grandfather was, like, killed in a logging accident. He just, like, fell into the river and was swept down the river, and that was it. Like, that's what you did back then. You worked for a logging company, and then you died. <laughs> you know? And so it's just, like... But, like, other people upload these artifacts and you get to like okay um find so connections yeah that's the right. thing is that so you add that to your tree and you're kind of like it's like friends it's like facebook where oh, you're like, like you like add that. people as a friend and be like hey i think we're related do you think do you think Old facebook would
2: facebook. do you think if, if facebook started charging uh that would be i mean i'm sure it'd be the, the beginning of the end of it but maybe that would be a like a positive good to keep some of just the, the the weirdos, you know, like the crazies, the nutjobs, off of that. I would so argue like, they're all, who do you all mean, right?
1: at least charging. Who are the who are the crazies?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. who? Who, <laughs> who you think's
1: crazy, Jai? <sighs> uh,
0: society. <laughs> oh, oh boy! Hot take, epic. Have you guys seen the? Can I Joker? subscribe to your newsletter? <laughs> Why so serious?
2: Are newsletters bad? Because I'm like, I've been signing up for newsletters in an attempt to just to, to limit social media for like, oh, this is someone I enjoy writing, but they have also have seven newsletters So maybe instead of having to follow them on six different platforms, I could just follow them all Why one. Why would that be bad?
0: I don't I don't know. The way you talked about newsletters, I was like, oh. I, no, no. It just sounded like your manifesto. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, ah, okay, I'm talking okay. more about a piece of paper you...
2: I was like, are newsletters canceled? No. <laughs>
0: no
1: i would i take justin shits on newsletters oh, shit
0: well here we go that's all that anybody's gonna hear now
1: that's the poll quote God damn it
0: that's justin the... hates newsletters. i mean i did spend a good hour of my week last week just unsubscribing from email lists is that are those newsletters because i just don't care i don't want to hear about your <laughs> shitty fucking thing that you got coming out
1: you know men's warehouse sends me like two emails a day Wow, two a and day? This, could, yeah, this has could, been for like three years now. Is it's like realistically, how many times a week can I buy like a three hundred and fifty dollars suit?
0: Mm-hmm. Twice, I realistically. guess. Realistically,
1: <laughs> twice a day. Oh, twice a day, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, one one is just the follow up in case you missed the first one. But still, I've never unsubscribed for that. Yeah, true.
2: Nothing stopping you. You know, twenty twenty one. That could be a year
0: of unsubscribing. Could be there's time inbox zero inbox zero is a myth do you think about like how it's not real how things were back then <laughs> and just how insane we sound right now just having to unsubscribe unsubscribe from digital newsletters and coupons
2: right it's just magic it's just like what do you just these like imagine these concepts that are nowhere to be found in the physical world really it's all yeah.
1: it's all advertising
2: that's what I'm, capitalism,
0: baby. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is uh, Facebook's already charging? You're the product. You're being bought <laughs> yeah. and sold. Our attention yeah. is the. Um, I saw an ad for a uh, a board game about the um, the gangs of New York and like the you know the mobsters of the 20s or whatever. Uh, and I all I could think of was just like, do you think when these people were getting killed in the street back then, they thought that hundred years from now people are gonna be playing a little fun game? <laughs> about yeah, what's right. going on right
2: yeah. now. Adjusting their character creation, like, oh, let's give this guy a Tommy gun and a nice fedora yeah. and make him seven feet tall. Yeah, when
1: people were on the Oregon Trail, it's like, <laughs> I've been shitting my brains out for a month now, and uh, mm. I'm about to die. Man, right. I hope somebody thinks that this is entertainment in the future. Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> I hope someone gets rich off this. And 100
0: Years is going to be a fucking video game about not being able to leave your house and Sitting at Mm -hmm. home and...
2: Yeah, like a pandemic simulator game. Like SimCity. We've already played a board game about pandemics. (laughs) Yes, we did, Kevin. And I I, uh, wonder... I tried introducing... I I tried getting uh, Justin and our friends Aaron and Christy to play Pandemic Season 1. I bought a copy of it. And that was, I think, in January of this year. So some part of me thinks, like, did I cause the pandemic by... is, Is this like a Jumanji situation where... Maybe to end the pandemic, we have to keep playing the game.:
0: Yeah, maybe. but we never started maybe. it.
2: I mean, but yeah one of the, <laughs> but we, did, we did like the, the, the non-serialized uh, right, version right. of it, so
1: wasn't one of we the gotta, plot points in Jumanji that like somebody moved away and they had to find him 30 years later or whatever? But he gets like sucked into the game.
0: He goes into Jumanji. Yeah. and he goes
2: into Jumanji.
1: Well, where, where do you think I am right now, Jai? Because we never finished season two.
2: Yeah, uh, the, the Shadow Men might be coming to get you, man. That's all I can say. Probably. That's a season two plot point. <laughs> no, they Spoiler. actually released like, a, <laughs> they released like a season zero that's like a prequel to season one and two. It's like you play like CIA. It's like the CIA versus Russia, Cold War stuff. Who can lick
1: the most doorknobs.
2: Yeah. So I hope that someday we can finish season two
0: and start season zero. <laughs> and end this thing <laughs> yeah, already. Yeah, the world's waiting on Maybe get on it, you know, sooner than later.
1: <laughs> well, can't fly again. So, I mean, you, you could, but what's the point? Right. Yeah, where would you go? Right. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I bought a, I
1: bought a car this week. Uh, and then after I handed over a check to a guy in my parking lot, I just had this sense of, what now?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> like, what do I do with this? The McDonald's drive-thru? Like, I haven't had
0: Cameron,
1: fast food s- in years. Like,
2: Ever since I've known you, you've had a blue Toyota Camry. And so, what, do you, what what's your new car? What, what did you get? I
1: got a, a white Subaru Impreza. Okay. So, I, I fit in quite well in the Pacific Northwest.
2: Does that have, like, a hatchback? Yep. Nice.
1: So, uh, I can throw my skis in if skiing is a thing again. Um I, can you fit your kayak in there? I I can get a rack for the roof. It's got rails yeah. that I can put on. So, and I do live you know a mile or two from the sound. So I can hop in there, or I can go up to. There's a, a canal a little north of here that there's some some yakin that I hear. Mm. But yeah, I uh, got a car. Big deal, I guess. Yeah, I mean. So how about how about the uh, that soundtrack?
2: Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> no. Seriously. I. Uh... Yeah. Good. good. Uh, the classical music just you know, pumped up against just gorgeous shots of nature. It always gets to me. You know, it's like it's always like there's something larger at work here. Like uh, it, it almost gives me this perspective of like someone looking back at like you know after after the world ended and they're just like in the last house somewhere just like playing a piano and thinking back to like all the just reflecting on every year that's ever occurred on this planet. I think okay.
1: I uh, I should make my alarm, that horn piece, that the recurring horn piece of the slowly mm-hmm. building horns, yeah. and then into the very slow arpeggios and they're adding like a, th- a major third on top of it each time. It, you know it's it is a deceptively simple construction, but it's the recurring theme and the motif that keeps coming back in. And it helps to sort of like ground you in in the chapters of the film as you go along.
2: Uh, the score was by James Horner, but apparently, like they used like a minute of it, yeah. and he's just like he got so pissed off. He's like, "I'm not ever I've never let, been let down by a filmmaker in my life like this." So, uh, yeah, Malick. You know, Malick. Like I think we I don't think we talked about it. He is like uh, there's no real interviews of him that I know of. He doesn't do like any type of press he's there's only you know there's like there's video of him out there like directing stuff like he they they did that movie uh song to song and there's all kinds of like paparazzi footage of him directing christian bale and ryan gosling around south by southwest film uh, music festivals but
1: yeah there's very few there's like no official publicity photos for him
2: or anything mm -hmm. like that he he actually did like a, a talk at uh the Garden Theater, in New Jersey, Princeton, like, a couple years ago. I think it was before Hidden Life, but he he did something. I mean, there was this. I remember it was, like, one of the sister theaters of the county theater where he used to work. I just remember seeing all these, like, kind of, po- like, invites. But, like, the tickets sold out, but also it was just, like, no cell phones allowed, no cameras allowed. We don't want any people taking video of Terrence Mal. He doesn't want it. It's, just, it's not his jam. But I would have loved to hear hear the guy talk in person. You know, it just would have been one of those – just. Yeah, that has got
1: to be pretty crushing for somebody to write a whole soundtrack on a feature film and then not Mm -hmm. have any of it used. But on the flip side, by the time 2005 rolls around, you know, Malik hasn't made many films by that point, but you kind of know what you're getting into, which is a giant question mark as to whether or not your pieces are going to be used. You know, see Adrian Brody in The Thin Red Line for details.
2: Yeah, I mean, like... Justin, I just don't even know this. Like, he made Badlands in like 73. And then he made Days of Heaven in, I believe, 1980. And then he took 20 years off. And nobody really knows what he was doing in those 20 years. <laughs> except for maybe just like. I think uh, he just taught philosophy doing...
1: and was like translating uh, books or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Days of Heaven came out in 78. So his next movie was in 90. Was in '98. That's within red line. So yeah, twenty years off of making movies. I think he also was like kind of active in like the 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 uh, Austin, Texas film scene. Like I think he like it was maybe mentoring like Richard Linklater, mm. or at least trying to help the guy get his career off the ground. Okay. But did he have any like yes. hits like that? I mean, he must have, right? Thin Red Line, I think, was a not in the Thin Red Line. I'm sorry, Days of Heaven was I think pretty well. Yeah, that well, that well was when you could do.
1: make sort of.
2: Uh, historical
1: epics about the 1800s mm-hmm. and you Sorry, Richard Gear get money for it. You know, what's the... That was when they were given money for films like Heaven's Gate, stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. the late 70s. So that was sort of the big auteur moment. You know, you've got like the deer hunters and and sort of the new, new Hollywood of, of the 70s. So, he was probably thought of as, like, another young gun coming in and doing his thing. But then he just was like, ah, 20 years. I don't have anything mm. to say for 20 years. Or did he?
2: Yeah, and now, like, in this is his new, like, prolific period. He's got another film, like, in post-production right now about, like, uh, I think it's about the life of Jesus Christ through a series of parables. And Mark Rylance plays four different versions of Satan. I'm in. And, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, the guy, he's got some he's got he's got a song to sing and uh, as long as he's singing that song, I'm I'm here to dance to it or listen to it at yeah. least.
1: Yeah, but you know, uh thinly veiled Christ-like figures have shown up in most of his work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Uh any other closing thoughts about Malik uh uh our our friend CJ, he said
1: that this is his favorite credit sequence of all time.
0: Do you have a mm. credit sequence?
1: Yeah. Interesting. With the maps at the beginning? Oh yeah.
2: Were some nice maps.
0: Really? Oh,
1: uh, it's great. I actually rewatched the first like half an hour this morning just to just to get a flavor, just to get that music and just to get that first Christopher Plummer
2: line. <laughs> you came to these shoals and chains. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the last time we watched this Kevin together was I think at Music Fest, you me and CJ were just uh, roaming the streets of Bethlehem with our mugs and instead of letting you guys drive home you all crashed on my couch and I think the next morning like I think I just I there was a Criterion sale going on at Barnes & Noble and I felt like hey I picked up New World or maybe CJ picked it up and we watched that uh, that morning regardless it was, it was one of those decisions
1: bed. of like we just woke up mm-hmm. and CJ was like let's throw this on for a bit
2: yeah uh, just just to get over our hangovers from, just <laughs> from music a, three
1: hours later you know yeah. we're still all sitting there you had no food in your apartment, literally no food, mm-hmm. not an exaggeration. Uh, you did have coffee, though. But
2: Of course I had coffee.
1: Uh, <laughs> after like three cups of black coffee and no food, I was like, I need to eat something. Mm. So that was my first, the, the hunger that I felt uh, definitely mimicked the settlers at Jamestown's hunger. <laughs> so I really had a visceral experience, mm. a visceral, visceral connection with this film. First time I, I saw told, it. I
2: told you guys, if you wanted to, I had some belts. You could boil them in some hot water, and uh, you'll be fine. The problem is, your belts weren't leather. They were woven. Uh, mm. They were, woven. There were those mm. nylon straps.
1: Oh, that's no good. And all of your that shoes, you didn't have any leather shoes. It was just sneakers. You were like, I'm you can about, eat I'm my about, Nikes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about that style, not function or edibility.
1: So really, the takeaway from this film is make sure that the clothing that you wear,
2: you can eat in a pinch. Mm-hmm. Hmm. i always carry a lara bar that's what i took away from it
0: okay
1: well aren't those for women that is such a pointlessly gendered product this granola bar is marketed towards women
2: it's all food man yeah
1: yeah
0: <laughs> was it was the soda that came out two years ago that was just for men was it mountain mountain dew or dr pepper or something like that coke for men moss energy drink i don't remember yeah
1: uh, you know if you want to be extreme
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well uh yeah that's that's new world by the new it's world new world check Terrence it out
2: Malick. the new world it's a good uh movie about the f- the f- kind of the f- lead up to the founding of America yeah. and uh, it was very
0: uh it was very good very sparse dialogue uh mm. told mostly by voiceovers we didn't really talk about the ending or any of that stuff when she gets to England I thought that was kind of surprising but Maybe that's for another yeah. day. <laughs> and, um, she's just kind of like walking around in this kind of like Disney world yeah. of nature and just like,
2: all right, I'll, I'll roll with this, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's, for that's
1: one of those other points where it, it brings the metaphor really back to home in the sort of uh, utterly controlled version of nature of what the English think or what a European centric view thinks nature is. These perfectly manicured lawns and manicured trees And the comparison there is striking and it's just like, oh, "Oh, nature is something to be controlled and parceled out as we see fit rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, to be understood and sort of lived in and lived with. So, yeah, Yeah, uh, the scenes in the sort of, uh, uh, what's the word, the the mansion backyard (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the end.
2: Yeah, God said, there's, uh, "There's no straight lines in nature," but then man said, uh, not, give me a minute and then, hold my beer." <laughs> it's
1: quote so. a Ridley movie. God doesn't build in straight lines. <laughs> the classic 2012 film Prometheus.
2: Well, that might be the next one. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll have you back on, Kevin, talk about Prometheus, Do a Ridley Scott, uh, either Gladiator or Prometheus, or please not Prometheus. Or we, or we can do I some that-
1: Soderbergh.
2: Soderbergh P.T. Anderson's got a new movie coming out soon I'm sure so
1: yeah
0: have you done the master yet no no Been meaning to wa- uh, rewatch that for like a two years now I have the blu-ray it's it's so good
2: mm-hmm.
1: Philip Seymour Hoffman
0: greatest of all time well if we do that it
2: could be the that, that that would be the master of Kevin Kerner being on the podcast like the, <laughs> Number the, the, five. the fifth yeah. time
1: is he, he'll
2: have mastered yes. this show
1: No, the show is not something to master, you know? It's, uh, Justin, Jaya, always you struggle within me. (laughs) Like
0: a raccoon in a cage. (laughs) Despite all my rage, I am still just a raccoon in a cage. Really briefly,
2: that's what got me into Malik was that trailer for the Tree of Life that was playing, like, just, it, it, that's just reached right into my ribcage and just, like, just massaged my soul and said, I think it's gonna be okay, and, uh... So that that tra- I think I've seen that trailer no less than 100 million times and that's what kind of got me down the path of just worshipping at the altar of Malik. Jaya, where do you live? <laughs> Briefly, let's go to our Ugto segment. You got to check this out. Brief recommendations on other things you're watching, playing, reading, doing. Kevin, what have you been Ugtoing? These days. Uh,
1: so I've been very slowly reading through the recogni- the recognitions um, uh, William Gaddis book from the 50s, I think um, sort of kicks off a lot of postmodernism and uh, it's only like a thousand pages long. Uh, so when I say I've been slowly working my way through it, I find it really hard to concentrate on anything for more than like 10 minutes. Um, so I've been creeping through that. I'm not really recommending that. Um it's good but you you need to be a little bit more committed to it than I am to get anything out of it. And then as far as <clears throat> what I'm watching, I've been on a Soderbergh kick. Um I brought him up because I did all three Oceans films which uh are are actually they're, they're they're weird. You want to hate like I want to hate these films. I want to hate these films and I don't know why because I really like Soderbergh. Um but I don't hate these films. Ocean's Eleven is sort of like the generative style and substance of his sort of later phase in his career. Um, and then somehow Ocean's Twelve is even more fun than that until everything just falls apart. They're like, well, uh, we wrote ourselves in a corner. Why don't they just fight on a train? And then the third one is instantly forgettable other than like this giant uh, blob of style that's just like over your eyes. Uh, minus the one Pacino line, I slice like a hammer, which is complete nonsense. Doesn't make a damn bit of sense if you think about it. But apparently, is a is a callback to some uh, uh, line that a musician said in a recording. But I, I don't have the details in front of me. And then because I did the the Soderbergh sort of like complex plotting and topsy turvy nature of it, I thought like. Uh, side effects I would like to watch, but I didn't, I didn't find it on streaming, but what I did find was wild things, which is like the dumb person side effects. So I watched that. And then when I was like rabbit holing down the nineties, I went from side effect or I went from uh, wild things right to basic instinct because why not? You know, so I've been doing like sort of plot heavy, uh, down the rabbit hole sorts of things, double crosses and twists. That's kind of what I've been into right now.
2: Tables being turned. Things going sideways.
1: Yeah, and uh, um, I've been playing Cyberpunk obviously since it was released on the seventeenth of November. You're playing Cyberpunk already? Yeah, it was released on the seventeenth of November, right? Yeah, it
0: didn't start downloading for you, Jaya. It started downloading for me that night. I I think I might be on a
2: different internet than you guys are. It's it's telling me it's not coming out. Yeah, Kevin and I are on the uh, the
0: free internet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get that? I I said. Yeah, you, know, you oh. get you had to like apply on a waiting list. Uh they made a new internet, turns out. It's oh, way better.
1: I've been paying for internet like an yeah. asshole. Which that's why we we were so confused when you said you were like on Facebook. On the new internet there's no Facebook. No, there's
0: really no social media at all. It's new, usually
1: uh This sounds like a
2: dream
0: place. Yeah.
1: You know, like, and can you can you get me in? I mean it it would be like a real clash of please, cultures please, in in new internet. Yeah. Versus the old internet. Also, I'm
0: out of invite codes. Sorry.
1: (laughs) And really, the people that come from old internet now, we give them like a season, and then and then we tell them they gotta leave. You know.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. They're you know because if the old internet sticks around, they're just gonna kill us all.
1: Yeah. All the viruses that old internet brings into new internet. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things. All right. Yeah. We we want to keep it uh
2: keep it clean. So, all right. Well, I'll just I'm just going to keep uh unrelentingly try to improve myself and my my online brand to hopefully deserve
0: an Oof, invite to. Wow, I don't miss cause... old internet branding. I... We don't have that either.
2: Yeah.
1: We don't have <laughs> capitalism in like the no. internet. Like Everybody
0: gets one coin for the year and then we don't even use it. We don't even really even need it. Yeah. Well, speaking you know. of the internet, uh my uh Ugto this uh week is feels good man the documentary uh, about uh, pepe the frog matt fury's um little happy frog cartoon character that ended up getting um taken in by internet trolls and turned into a hate symbol that got a fascist elected so check that feel good movie out it's called feels good man um it's terrifying (laughs) terrifying reminds me of the old internet which i don't like to think about um so if you want a documentary about the old internet and how we're all fucked, uh check that out. um it's for free if you have yeah, PBS. when justin
1: and I when Justin and I got to new internet, we burned our routers, you know mm-hmm. so that we couldn't go back
0: yeah we uh it's like when Doc uh, destroys the Delorean or Marty destroys the Delorean, you know yeah, but then there's the time train, so it makes no sense but anyway, uh <laughs> jaya do you uh do you have anything there? Well, I'm just
2: being a putz on this old internet and uh, watching uh, the Animaniacs reboot on Hulu. (laughs) They uh, brought it back for about 13 new episodes. Uh, Still got some of the same style, the same humor, updated for modern 2020, even though it was written in 2018. But it's got a really solid uh, opening teaser that uh, parodies Jurassic Park, so it was totally up my alley. And it's just one of those... Animaniacs was a show that kind of taught me about, like, Hollywood and show business in a weird way like, I think that's where I first like learned about like Humphrey Bogart and Frank Sinatra and uh, like Lauren Bacall just like those old like Casablanca type of uh, film noir stuff so Animaniacs is back on Hey, give check me a call out.
0: when they bring back Freakazoid and Earthworm Jim alright boom
2: yeah that's probably the first
0: place I,
1: I got like my first Orson Welles impression was from Animaniacs that,
2: that too yeah the, the pinky mm-hmm. the brain they're still at trying to take over the oh, world they're still doing that Maybe, maybe this season they'll they'll well, actually they succeed, do. But yeah, they deserve.
0: I it. mean, if at any point the world is weak enough for a takeover, it's uh now. So uh, all you pinkies and brains out there, uh, take take the spoils. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see in court. See in, <laughs> see in court.
1: The hostile takeover by the mice. Yeah, or the lab rats. <laughs> yeah.
0: Honestly, uh, if, yeah. if somebody told me a mouse was uh. My leader now, I just would just keep going to work. I wouldn't even keep.
1: I mean, he is. Mm. Do you subscribe to Disney what? Plus? <laughs> yeah. No, I use, I use hey. Anthony's,
0: uh, my old roommate's account. <laughs> Gotta watch that McClunky. You know what I mean? Mm. McClunky's S2. A little McClunky ate an egg last uh, week. Anybody see that?
1: <sighs> oh, spoilers, oh, man. I only watched the first three of two. Okay.
0: It's great. Love it.
2: <laughs> Kevin, you got something to plug?
1: Yeah, I, my, my thesis film had, I'd submitted that to uh, Southside Film Festival over the summer, and um, it was supposed to go off over the summer, and they, they postponed it, but apparently there's going to be a virtual version, and they, they accepted the film, in. Um, I don't have any more details on that. It's supposed to be December 8th or 9th, um, but they haven't publicized oh. anything yet, so it, it that's what I've been told, and I don't have any more details, but it's, it's cool. Um, there was a film, it's about a half hour long, it's a a documentary about the, some of the folks in the sort of DIY music scene in Southside Bethlehem. Um, and well, in Bethlehem more generally there uh, speaking out of turn, there's scenes that take place in the ice house, which is not South side Bethlehem, obviously um, that's on the North mm-hmm. side or kind of in the river. Yeah. But yeah, if that's a thing that's happening uh, December 8th and 9th, obviously they had to move their entire infrastructure online. So, Probably why I don't have any more details than that.
2: Uh yeah, I saw your short your 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 thesis film, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. it had a really cool look at what the, all the music that's been happening uh around this great Christmas city of ours. So best
0: of luck with that. Yeah, that sounds cool. Thank you. Next stop, the Oscars. <laughs> You're gonna be up against uh the invisible man, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and uh Song Trolls 2. So I <laughs> Bad Boys for Life uh, yeah, that bad came boys out this year. Life. And that's it. That's everything. The last All film right. I saw in theaters. Wow. Last film I saw in theaters was. uh McClonkey. You know, that David Lynch film. With Nick Cage. Yeah. Oh, Wild at Heart. It's the last one I yeah.
2: saw. Yeah. Hey, my last one was uh, the Harvey Quinn movie. Harvey Quinn. I, I like the Harley, Harley Quinn movie. I thought that it was good. What? Yeah.
1: It's a combination of Harvey Weinstein <laughs>
0: and Harley Quinn. Oof. It, it's why so serious? Joker's Joker's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you how I got these scars. Well, that that does it for. That about does it
2: for this week's episode of Amusing Ourselves to Death. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next time, and we'll see you on the
0: internet. Thanks, Kevin. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Yeah, thanks for for having me. Fun as always, and uh, until next time.
2: We'll let you have the final word then. (laughs)
0: Amusing Ourselves to Death is produced by Jaya Peck and Justin Passino. Artwork by Evan Stutz. Theme song by Pretty Lousy. Find us on social media at Facebook and Instagram at Amusing Ourselves to Death. Get in touch at amusing to death pod at gmail.com.